welcome to All About Campion, an introduction to loving the films of Jane Campion. I'm Ingu Kang, a critic at the Washington Post, and I'm joined today, as I would be in India or the Australian outback, by my co-host Daniel Schreier, a podcast producer at Slate. Hey, Ingu. We are also joined this episode by a very special guest, Lovia Jocce, a critic at the Hollywood Reporter. Hi, Lovia. Hi. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is going to be a lot of fun. In this episode, we are going to talk about Holy Smoke, the 1999 comedy romance that's definitely not a romantic comedy, starring Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel. For all the campion completists out there, we did not forget about Portrait of a Lady. We will be returning to it in a later episode. In Holy Smoke, Winslet plays Ruth, a young Australian woman in need of spiritual fulfillment who travels to India and finds a guru she intends to marry. Her family gets her back to Australia and forces her into cult deprogramming, administered by Kaitel's exit counselor, PJ who soon finds himself in over his head. One source of inspiration for the film was a friend of Campion's who joined the Moonies and apparently struggled valiantly to get the filmmaker to join the cult too. Love that. To put Holy Smoke into some context, the film came out six years after The Piano and two years after Titanic and Jackie Brown, which we mentioned because Pam Greer has a small role here. Unlike in some previous episodes, we will not be running through a list of all the accolades it received, since it received very few, if any. Boo. Boo. (laughs) Definitely. Along with Portrait of a Lady and In the Cut, the subject of our next episode, Holy Smoke is considered one of Campion's weakest movies. But Daniel and I will probably argue, and I think Lopio will agree, that it deserves a much better reputation than it has. Before we get started, uh, Daniel, what happens in Holy Smoke? The film opens on Ruth, played by Kate Winslet and her friend, visiting India, looking for a real-life guru. Her friend, having returned from India without her, recounts to Ruth's parents what happened that led Ruth to stay in the country. Ruth's parents decide she has been brainwashed into a cult and so scheme to lure her back home in order to deprogram her. Ruth's mother, played by Julie Hamilton, travels to India to retrieve her daughter using a concocted story about her husband, Ruth's father, being sick, but ends up having her own medical emergency while visiting and must be flown home, accompanied by Ruth. When Ruth arrives home, she's taken to a remote house with cult deprogrammer PJ Waters, played by Harvey Keitel, so he can spend the next three days bringing her back. But it seems he may have met his match as Ruth defies his attempts and even ends up flipping the dynamic as she sleeps with him and he grows increasingly obsessed with her until he knocks her out and throws her in the trunk of his car. Thankfully, her family has driven out to check on her and save her from the car trunk and drive home with PJ broken in the trunk bed until Ruth joins him there and comforts him on the drive home. A year later, Ruth is back in India with her mother. PJ has moved on to settle down with his girlfriend, Carol, played by Pam Greer, and he and Ruth exchange letters where they still look back fondly on the common bond they forged during their time together. Um, let's start with Lovia since she's our guest today. What did you think of this movie? Oh my gosh. I was so surprised that it didn't, it got terrible reviews, like truly like a 
like that was like some of the like the worst film that some people had seen um which was shocking <laughs> because i really really liked it i felt like i mean i told you this over the phone a couple weeks ago um ingrid that i'm now like i'm a newly converted jane campion stan um which may or may not be the reason why i'm here today but i just really admire her as a filmmaker and i felt like this film in particular really confirmed that for me it's so i didn't know where it was going the entire time well at the beginning i thought i knew where it was going i was like oh this is going to be funny this is going to be you know about ruth coming into her own maybe i might be offended if this stays in india but whatever <laughs> like <laughs> the potential to be bad is high but i just felt like at every single turn i was completely surprised and i was taken aback and i'm so excited to talk about all the twists because there's just so much here you know it's like a really sprawling film um and really packed thematically and also i think just visually impressive as well so yeah all the uh scenes out like in the australian desert with like those really like orange than orange sunsets and like the- yeah i mean it knows how to paint a picture i love the like the mixture of the wide landscapes and the very small human pieces in that landscape. Definitely. And I think watching the movie from 2021, something that really struck me, especially in contrast to these like grand vistas is like how almost excruciatingly nineties, like all of the fashion was. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, the soundtrack is full of like Alanis and just like is like a complete Madeline in a bunch of ways for like the late 90s. And for whatever reason, like I just love that contrast with almost a sort of like teeny boppiness of a certain era combined with all of the like timeless landscapes of the movie. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Ingu. I feel like that campaign did a good job of mixing and matching. And that's part of the reason why I loved um, Sophie Lee's character. She plays Ruth's sister, um, who is... Isn't it sister-in-law? Sister-in-law. Oh, you're right, because she's married to her brother. She plays Yvonne. That's the character. Yvonne, yeah. I just loved her. And I felt like she was sort of the stand-in for, like, she's truly, like, the the most, I, I felt like the most 90s character just from her hair, like, that god-awful coloring job, but that really worked for her, all of her outfits. The first thing that I noticed was when she, like, the first time she's on screen, she's wearing that, like, cross, which has made a comeback. I don't know if you guys saw, but Madonna is recently wearing an enlarged version of that cross on the cover of Rolling Stone. Because, you know, we're back in the 90s. But I, like, immediately noticed that. And I was like, oh, my God. This is, like, the fashion. I'm already, like, the costume design is incredible. And I love that she's kind of, like, in this in-between state of being this, like, weird, like, girlhood. Like, I mean, she's fully a mother, you know, and an adult. But also dresses like she um, is 17 years old. And I just, I was obsessed with her character. (laughs) I loved her blonde, like, front, like, streaks those are just perfect she is one of the best characters in the movie for sure they were extremely ginger spice Mm, yes yes and i have like actually a really fun quote from campion which is like her sort of like thinking about the two main female characters ruth Mm -hmm. and yvonne where she says at first i thought it was ruth the younger woman and i still do real love seems psychotic most of the time i haven't been very successful at it myself 
I feel myself as Yvonne too, the complete bits who gets manipulated all the time. Falls in love is just a romantic idiot who fantasizes about sex and love all day long. And honestly, who doesn't love like a filmmaker who can read themselves? <laughs> Truly. Wait, I, I love that quote. I mean, aren't we all a little bit, Yvonne? I think even though she was so ridiculous, like I felt like she was a stand-in for me as the audience, you know? Like she's just like <laughs> not really quite sure what's going on. She's kind of vibes. I also thought Harvey was really attractive in this yeah. film. Like, I would have well, easily watch been the seduced. piano. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I was surprised at the feelings that I had. I was like, what are these feelings that are bubbling up so sudden, so new? You know? But I felt the moment. I Sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. Yes. I, I, I saw you. I saw where you were going. I got you. Um, I, I, I love Yvonne too. And I think what's great about her is that like, it seems at least it was, it seemed at least clear to me that she is the type of woman that he was expecting to deprogram. Mm. And, uh, he's clearly so good at manipulating those types of women. And that's like just his, probably his bread and butter. So he didn't even know what to do with Kate Winslet when he got her. Definitely. Really good point. Yeah. What another thing I want to mention about the nineties, which this happens towards the end, even though like Pam Greer isn't in the film as much as I would have wished, when she like gets to Australia and she's wearing that green ensemble and Ugh. like the camera zooms in on her nails that are also a matching green, I was like, there's nothing more nineties than this comp than this whole <laughs> fit. You know what I mean? Like And the cheetah print scarf. Yes, like it was just incredible. That was and like that I just loved the way the camera just like rested on her figure and like took note of her nails and just like those small details that I feel like were really actually a big part of this film and I thought like the film did really well is just noticing these like sort of like really tiny details about everyone or about the scenes or the landscape and and making us pay attention to them. I will say if that neon chartreuse that Pam Greer was wearing comes back, I will throw a fit. What? Like in a... T- why? What? I mean, I would love to wear that color, so get Me out. too. You're outnumbered right now. <laughs> Explain yourself. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that neon chartreuse has plenty, so I don't need to explain myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like you guys like really fell for this romance. I don't know if I fell for the romance exactly. I felt especially the whole time that like Harvey was seducing or Kate Winslet was seducing the other one, like each other. I didn't mm. really love that because I was a bit like unnerved and creeped out by it because like he's so much older than her. Not that that's a problem, but just like, like he, he seemed lecherous in a way that, uh, I didn't care for, but it's still like, it made me love the movie even in like, I, I wasn't falling for Harvey like I was in the piano, but I was like falling for their dynamic. Just to like stay with the piano a little bit longer. I think something I really noticed, um, watching Holy Smoke is sort of like this uh, kind of like almost take on Beauty and the Beast. Like the piano, like the room, the central romance in the piano, there's sort of like this like coercive caging element to it, right? 
And so much of the piano is about like this woman who, despite that caging and the coercion, like figures out a way to like assert her independence and her equality to the guy who is basically her warden. And you have basically like that exact same dynamic here where she is like, she's forced to give up her shoes so that she can't leave the shack in the middle of nowhere where she's supposed to be deprogrammed. It's also sort of taming of the shrewy. Yes. Mm, Yeah. And so I was a little bit like, this is interesting that this is like the romantic scenario that like you return to, like, especially in such a short period of time. But, you know, um, I don't know. It really worked for me. I mean, I I could see Jane Campion wanting to conquer her men. No comment. Uh, Daniel, while we were watching the movie together, was making some not so nice comments about Harvey Keitel's physicality. Not his physicality, but just his skincare regimen. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. I actually found them like a lot sexier here, just as this like kind of like urban cowboy who is like definitely past his prime. But also, I like men who, like, put in an effort into their physical appearance. And so even though a lot of the dynamic was, like, her making fun of, like, his age and... His hair dye. His hair dye. I was like, at least he's trying. Yeah, I definitely appreciated his effort. You know what's interesting? Like, I, I still haven't figured out if their dynamic worked for me because... In the scenes that they had together, like, I found really enthralling. Like, I was super engaged, and I was kind of like, this is really hot. You both are doing an absolutely amazing job right now. But it's the character set up, especially for PJ, um, Harvey Keitel's character, that it kind of, like, feel, felt a little, like, discordant. Like, he comes in kind of hot, like, as this, like, you know, cowboy, super confident He's going to deprogram this girl. You know, he's really like, there's obviously the air of like misogyny and he's, you know, not, he knows his own strength and power. And I think it just, I was, it was hard for me to believe that that would all kind of disintegrate in three days, you know, but maybe, especially because of, again, the character that Ruth sort of like was, is introduced as, especially at the beginning in those early scenes where she is in India with her friend um, and even the scene where she is back at her parents and she's like dancing in their backyard and she's like, oh, I'll race you to see her father. Like, it's very like girl, girlish, maybe like a little naive. And so I, even though the scenes themselves, like where the power dynamics shifts, like worked for me because I was like, wow, again, both of you are doing an amazing job here. I kind of struggled to buy the transition, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. I think the reason it worked for me is because of how it echoed the uh, initial experience Kate Winslet's character had when Ruth is in India and she and her friend are going to see this uh, guru just as like some voyeuristic touristy thing. And then it turns out that she is touched both physically and like spiritually in a way that she wasn't even expecting, but is all of a sudden changed and changes her life, her name, her, uh, her entire persona to like become part of this 
I don't know if it, I don't know if I would call it a cult. We can get into that, but <laughs> yeah, to become part of this religious group. Yeah, and so I think that like Harvey Keitel is having that type of experience himself with Ruth. Ruth is his in some ways guru, but like neither of them are. She's not doing it intentionally. He's not right. seeking that sort of thing out, obviously. But like even with especially the final one of the final images of the film, which is her as that Hindu goddess, it's very clear that like she is his that yeah definitely that makes sense yeah and like kate that wants to marry the guru harry Keitel, sort of like out of nowhere is like let me marry you yeah um yeah i didn't actually piece that together until now but like now that makes so much more sense no i i know i'm like wait a minute well that's why i'm here you're on to something okay. <laughs> i think that's everything i really loved about the I mean, like, I definitely agree when Lovia said before that, like, you didn't exactly know where the movie was going. And I think there is sort of this, like, messiness to the script a little bit where, like, you don't have the goalposts uh, of, like, their relationship and, like, the transition so clearly telegraphed to the audience. And there was, like, a part of me that, like, really appreciated that. And then there was, like, a part of me that was, like, really frustrated by it. Because I was like, I want to know more about like how exactly we're moving from like point A to B to C. But I think like also at the same time, I think one of the things that sort of like bring Kate Winslet around into like understanding where he's coming from is when he finally shares that story about how he also fell under the sway of like his own guru who also tried to sort of like, like have a sexual relationship with him. And... I mean, it's Harvey Keitel. If I was guru, I'd try. Yeah. But I think, like, the thing that, like, really probably, like, softened her up is her finally realizing that, like, he's in this line of work because of his, like, own particular particular experiences that he wants to save other people from. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, a fair project or not? We can have a discussion about that. But I think the other thing is that in the same way she has this, like, big gaping hole that she is trying to Phil, she sees that he also has this like big gaping hole and they're both wanting to fill it through spirituality but they're not finding it so they're filling it through sex and yeah you just have this like moment of like two people realizing that they are part of the same pod even though they would never have guessed that and I think like that was like a moment for me that I really treasured from the film yeah I enjoyed all of their moments together because I loved how, like, within the dynamic of this romance, it was developing and height. Like, there were moments where it felt super heightened, and then they would go into this depression, and then it would be super heightened again. But that scene, especially, like, was so was incredibly moving. When you were talking, Ingu, about the script and the messiness, like, wanting to know, like, how we got from point A to point B, I actually thought of now. I'm wondering, you know. Maybe this is giving too much credit, but now I'm wondering, like, that's kind of mirrors the experience of, like, joining a cult or being overcome. Just thinking back to Daniel's point, like, you don't really know how you get from point. Like, that. that's, you know, the whole point of these, like, or the whole curiosity or fascination with cults is, like, you wonder, like, wait, but then how did you just, like, at what point did you lose yourself that you go from, like, you know thinking in one way to being completely subsumed by this group 
And there's just like a huge unknown. And I think in some ways the script not being clear about that is mirroring the experience of literally, it's just asking you to like believe in the same way almost. By the way, something really weird that I found out about the script is that um, this script credited to Jane Campion and her sister Anna, her older sister Anna, who was a filmmaker in her own right. Apparently Jane Campion wrote like what she called the beginning and the end of the movie. And Anna Campion wrote like the middle parts that relate to uh, the central romance, which I found utterly bizarre, but. Whoa. They also (laughs) turned it into, it's also a novel. Did you guys know that? So random. But I feel like it was part of that whole like thing in the 90s where like, like all movies get novelizations. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, this would be an awful novel, no offense. <laughs> I really disagree. I think really? it's a much better novel than it would be a movie. I think Because of the parts, like the connecting parts? Yeah, but I think that mm. also something like existential despair or like a spiritual crisis, like that's really hard to like portray on screen because the usual way that like you would just picture it is like, some gorgeous person looking off like into like doing like a thousand yard stare and just being like sad and you're like oh look at that like beautiful sad person and it's like really hard to like feel like the depth of that spiritual emptiness Mm. and I think it's probably a lot easier to do in text yeah Daniel we're gonna say something oh I was gonna say that I don't read books so I like it the way it is (laughs) But what I was going to say was actually like back to the point of this script possibly mirroring the experience of the like being drawn into a cult, not knowing how you ended up there. It's kind of also maybe the experience that we had watching this in that like we didn't necessarily know we were going to love this. And it seems like everybody says like, oh, it's not that great. And then there was just something about it, some like magic of the movie that made us kind of like fall under its spell, like is holy smoke our cult leader won't go that far but um absolutely i'd be into it let's okay. think about this i mean i we're also sort of like living currently in this like period of like we're like in peak cult entertainment cultisance right? we're having a cult cult <laughs> and i remember like reading the logline or like the wikipedia summary or whatever and thinking like, oh, this is like a really great premise for a movie. Like, number one, it's kind of cheap because all you really need for like your main set is like a house. And then you can have like two people bouncing off each other. But also, um, I don't know, it's such a great opportunity for a character study. And it sort of made me surprised that you don't have a lot more films about cult deprogramming because I feel like a lot of people would be really interested in that, especially right now, especially after watching something like The Vow or whatever. By the way, no one in The Vow like, was deprogrammed in three days. And the three-day thing was like the thing I found the least like believable about this movie. But mm. Yeah, the three-day thing was a bit of a stretch. But I bought into it. I was like, you know what? You bought sure. every part of this, so. <laughs> I did. I was like, sure. Take me there. Take me there. 
I did think it was really interesting, like all of the actual like real life cult stuff that they integrated in into the film. Um, I mean, yeah, of course, like I know the story of like Jonestown and of Heaven's Gate and all that, but it felt so much more vivid to me in 2021 because of the like documentaries around those cults that have like cropped up in recent like months and years, like, and of course maybe like in the nineties people would have easily recognized this in a way that I didn't before I saw the heaven's gate documentary on HBO. But like, I didn't know who that guy was who was in charge of heaven's gate, but like seeing him in this movie, like seeing footage of him in this movie being used was like really affecting because I knew like what, like I had like an actual understanding of that story as well. And so it made like that whole part where they're watching the like cult films together more uh, real and like relatable. Yeah. I think that like the other part of this is sort of like the India part of it where uh instead of sort of these like out branches of christianity you have i mean like i think like truly like my only frame of reference for this is something like wild wild country which started out as like a cult or like a sect in uh india and then sort of like had like a i don't know like a colony or something like in oregon but I think that we have a sort of been circling around like this issue of like, why is this cult so vague? And like, it, I think it has so much to do with like how we're supposed to think of Kate Winslet's characters, especially at the beginning. Um, Where she's just yeah. trying to like eat, pray, love. Yeah. <laughs> and I spent a lot of time, like maybe like in the first half of the movie, trying to decide like, does she have a point in wanting to like get away from Australia and wanting to get away from her family and even like marrying this guy uh, this guru or like is she like completely full of shit and just like a smug teenager or like an early 20 something who was like I know better than you mom like you're a hypocrite dad and they think that there, there was a sort of like nice tension in that and maybe you couldn't get as much tension out of that if the cult had sort of been more defined. Yeah, but I do think that like one point that you just kind of made that I want to like hone in a bit more specifically is that so like Heaven's Gate and Jonestown and the cults that like we see uh, depicted that aren't this amorphous cult, cult quote unquote from India are like, all Christian endeavors and that like her family who likely is of the Christian persuasion though, of course, like who knows uh, are so quick to judge the like religiosity of Hinduism of like Indian culture because they don't even understand it necessarily. And not saying that like this guy who is convincing uh, women to marry him isn't a cult leader or something, but like there's, such a like it's interesting that the cults that we are shown are like christian cults and that really part of the reaction that her family might be having is just pure xenophobia yeah and she even says that at some point she's like oh mom and dad are mad because i'm with the because because they hate indians or something yeah i think that's a really interesting point especially just the subjective 
Because especially the videos that they show in this, they show her are all of Christian cults. And then this one, which I'm kind of hesitant to call a cult. I don't know why, but uh, because it's because it's, we so, know so little of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Do I, I don't know. At the beginning of the film, I definitely thought she was just full of shit. You know, <laughs> like I like 100%. You know Every girl who like went to study abroad and then like yeah tells everyone she knows that like she went to India to study abroad right, right. and it changed she her put life. on the new Lord album and was just like <laughs> I'm feeling Eastern vibes right she's changed forever I definitely didn't believe, I thought that she was just sort of like angsty but I, I towards the end especially after her because of her conversations with PJ it I started to sort of believe like oh maybe she really is trying to figure something out and this is just a means to that end and that something is really trying to like figure herself out um particularly when she's like you know i feel like i'm unlovable and it's hard for people to get close to me um just to back to your point ingu about her trying to fill this gap you know and i think those conversations made her character just her character's motivations um more convincing to me yeah and And this actually reminded me of, uh, as we're talking about it, uh, this reminds me a lot of my, like, background, because I'm I'm from the South. I grew up uh, the son of a minister, and uh, I worked at a, like, church camp in college, and uh, I just remember so clearly all of the people who made religion their personality, and, like they were so desperate to find something to define them that, oh, well, if I just allow this religion to subsume me, then that is who I am. And my identity can be that. So I don't have to look at me. And what Kate Winslet is, it seems doing is a sort of thing like that where it's, she has fled her family, but is finding another place to just escape from self and that her experience with Harvey Keitel isn't her necessarily getting deprogrammed from a cult, but kind of like waking up to having to like take charge of herself. I think I had like a really similar like line of thought, but like framed it kind of differently, uh, which is that basically she seems like someone who has been trying to rebel all her life. Um, I think there's like a really quick passing comment early on where someone, where she's walking around like in these saris while she's back at home with her family in Australia. And someone is like, wanted to wear like normal clothes. And then someone else is like, it's not like she would look like a girl anyway, like even in her normal clothes. And so you definitely get the sense that this is just like a girl who is like really good at rebelling and always knows how to push other people's buttons. Like when she yells at her mother, something like, uh, but why are you here? Why are you here (laughs) on this earth? Such a petulant child thing to do. (laughs) And then I think, yeah, like when she is forced to like spend all this time pushing Harvey Keitel's buttons and like uh basically like rebelling against him so hard that she somehow like pushes him into submission she has to sort of like figure out like what exactly is she rebelling against and then you i I think she gets to like a point where she's like oh i don't like have like a real thing that like i'm rebelling against 
And I think she has to like confront that emptiness inside her again. And I found all of that like really beautiful and meaningful. So I think that one of the things that we can probably agree is one of the most memorable scenes of the movie is the pee scene where Ruth has like burned all of her clothes. And then she decides that she is going to like walk around naked. And then she approaches PJ and then just like pees on herself. And I will. PJs on herself. (laughs) I hate you. Sorry. (laughs) And I think like one of like, uh, I read somewhere that apparently Kate Winslet really wanted to just like literally pee on herself, but it didn't look like cinematic enough. And so she had to like wear like a tube of like saline like on her butt crack in order to like make the fluid like gush out faster so it looked like really dynamic. Oh my god. What did you guys make of the pee scene and like the fact that she peed on herself like in front of the sky? I think at that point in the film, I was just like, literally anything can happen in this film. And I'm just going to be like, <laughs> wow, can't believe that happened. You know? And so I, I wasn't even phased, I don't think, <laughs> by by it as much as I should have been. You know, like now that you're recounting it, I'm like, no, that's that was a little, that was weird. That was just like a bizarre thing to have happened and to have taken place. But I think it really speaks to just how many bizarre things happen in the film and how much like campion throws at you or threw at me that i was just like oh no naturally naturally it's time to pee right here and now (laughs) i was i was definitely honestly the most startled by like the immediate full nudity i was like oh okay that's where we are but um yeah I, i felt like the peeing in some ways was maybe like her not not attempt to like scare harvey keitel away but like to kind of play the game against him in a way i mean it's it's weird i mean it was interesting to me that right after that he was like this is what is going to turn me and i was like really this this is what convinces you that i guess of her like just the full desperation it seemed like the final desperate act she could do in this like attempt to shift the power dynamics by infantilizing herself you know i mean i think that there's definitely this infantilizing mode that like you can read the piece scene in and i did read this like really i don't know this like really like annoying but probably correct analysis of the movie which is that she just has like a very very terrible daddy issues oh my god and like how the guru goes by baba which means father and how, like, she ends up with Harvey Keitel's character because he's, like, a much older man. And, like, the P is just, like, a scene of, like, her, I don't know, like, like regression or whatever. I feel like a lot of, like, that really, like, tracks and it's really coherent. But also it, like, streamlines the movie for me in a way that, like, I don't particularly enjoy. I will note that, like, before she pees on herself, like, she says to him, like, nobody likes me, and sort of has this, like, moment of, like, utter, of, like, really, like, uh, laying down, like, the walls uh, that she had put up in front of him. 
And then, of course, like, after that is, like, a scene where, like, they fuck. And really, like, I personally would not trust an outdoor shower to get rid of all of the pee, but whatever. They seem like they're doing their own thing in their little eyes, <laughs> too, so whatever. Hey, urine is sterile, Ingu. Yeah. You would also have a smell, Daniel. I guess, but... <laughs> hey, as a gay man, I have to be open to a lot of things. <laughs> I'm screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we won't get into the water sports. Um, this is the perfect movie for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is. Honestly, this was, uh, well, I think, my favorite movie we've watched of hers. Uh, I wow. I had fun in this in a way that I didn't have in the piano, uh, even though I love the piano. It was engaging in a way that I found sweetie boring. It was just like it had a life to it and it wasn't some period drama it was i mean granted yeah it was a period it was the 90s but like it was a contemporary (laughs) film of the time and so uh for all that it it does for all that like what we have said about like campion making it so 90s actually does kind of in retrospect make it a period film but like a contemporary period film where it's like she's using the uh what I would imagine are the techniques and mechanics you would use if you were making a period film about a different time and deploys them about her own time, uh, like the own time that like the actual modern time. And so it does keep it grounded in this like 1990s ness even now. Like we felt that so viscerally, even though like so much of it isn't necessarily attached to a time period. Like I think that a lot of what happens in the outback where she is, where Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel are is like a timeless experience, a timeless moment that like could fit in a variety of time periods, but like there is so much work done and so much smart work done, not like work that you see the work, but like so much smart work done to really keep us in the moment of the movie. And so like, I just, yeah. I also want to say like, this is, like, a very rare comedy that she has made. And, like, we can, like, quibble a little bit about, like, how much of it is a comedy. But one thing I really appreciate about Jane Campion is that when she puts, like, a joke or, like, a weird gag into a movie, it's never, like, the kind of, like, joke joke that you would expect from most writers and directors. Like, there's, like, a later scene where Kate Winslet decides she wants to, like, run away from the shack because she's tired of being uh, around Harvey Keitel, but he's taking her shoes. And so she just, like, wraps a bunch of books to her feet. There's also, like, this, like, other completely random scene where it looks like something out of, like, Fury Road, where there are these, like, two cars, like, on the road in Australia. This is, like, with, like, the gay brother and his like friends and like one of the like kids just like walks like on the roof of a speeding car to a the roof of like the speeding car right next to it so stressful and like it's like a weirdly funny scene and I think that she just like has like a very like bizarre sense of humor that I always appreciate in her movies because you got like weird visual gags that you would not get from anybody else. Yeah, I mean, I loved when one of the scenes that I actually laughed out loud, aka I cackled out, was when Kate Winslet's character is like, I've had relationships, and it goes into that like montage of her high school 
um, sweethearts. And they're all, like, winking at the camera. I literally think that's hilarious. Like, that's, I loved that part, you know? And just that kind of humor. Um, and also, I mean, not take this back to Yvonne, the sister, but she's just such a funny character and, like, had some of the best lines. Her in addition to um, the gay brother. Like, when they come into the house and they're, they start kneeling. This is at the beginning when I thought this was going to be a comedy. And then it took a different turn. But, like, that whole, <laughs> like, the entire first part of the film um, where the, with the family, like, is very funny, you know? Like, it feels like a sitcom almost. Yeah, they're very comic relief. And that's actually a moment where Ingu laughed out loud, which is when Yvonne let her child jump straight and fall <laughs> flat on the ground. Do you remember that? <laughs> thing where whenever I see a child like fall on the ground, it just like makes me laugh really loudly. And wow, so- should we unpack that? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't all about Ingu. <laughs> I think there was also the, just this like weird sight, like completely unremarked upon gag where a sheep is in the living room and they're using like the top of the sheep as like a coffee table. It just like makes no sense unless maybe you live in 1999 Australia. Um. <laughs> yeah, but you also you also get like when uh, Yvonne is driving the car and the kangaroos jump out and she's like, oh. yes, like, <laughs> there are so many good gags like that that are just like, yeah. the family is the cartoon. Yes. Yeah wait oh my god we talked about the pee scene but we didn't talk about the blowjob scene which i kind of laughed at which maybe was not okay i know Uh, well just the part where he's like really funny because because yvonne is giving like harvey keitel a blowjob and then doesn't he say something like just keep just breathe breathe." because she's like having like a because at first it seems like she's kind of having like an anxiety attack being in his presence like she's so flustered and in love or in lust and he's like just breathe and she takes his hand right and puts it on her chest i was gonna say isn't this also when he's she's telling him about like fucking her husband but keeping yeah. photos uh, like on the drawer yeah and then she is like oh tom oh tom but then she like is so like like, they're so unimportant that, like, she, like, confuses the movie stars, and she's like, yeah. oh, mad. Yeah. <laughs> and that her husband is completely unfazed by her Unfazed by the whole thing. Out. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to point out, because I feel like I've seen not a lot of, like, films that are actually sexy this year. Like, I feel like the the sex scenes or the parts that are meant to be like erotic like truly do nothing for me and i'm like i don't even believe this but this film i was like wow like there's so even though it was like so it was a lot like i felt like there were like actually parts particularly even that scene i was like okay this is kind of hot like there's tension here this is hot you know i mean it's also weird but also hot and i feel like that's rare i don't know i just really i was like really into it yeah, I was actually really surprised by how, like, sexy I found the blowjob scene. I think, like, part of it is just, like, the way that it happens, where, like, Yvonne is sort of, like, the person who's, like, initiating, and she's the one who wants to give 
PJ be blowjob. And she's sort of talking about like how, you know, like her mind wanders and obviously her mouth wanders. No judgment. And like, I think like him sort of like being really into it and also like being kind of opportunistic about it. But at the same time, just like him finding this like, like random chatter box, like kind of charming and being like, yeah, I'll take a blowjob. And I yeah. think other it's just that like Harvey Keitel, whatever Daniel may say, just like looks really hot in this movie. Like Yes, movie. I agree. I agree. He has like a really like solid torso. And it's just like we talked about like we talked about this when we were talking about the piano about like how you have these like bodies that look like human bodies as opposed to like these like marvel bodies Mm -hmm. and uh the sort of like ability to like recognize like the body on screen as like something like kind of analogous to your own life yeah you sort of like forgot how like nicely like erotic that can be i don't know if outside of the context of this film i would feel the same way about um harvey but in but definitely within the context of this film i'm just like i don't know what spell like campion put us under but i was like yeah i think a lot of it is like the same as like in the piano where there is like both this like hyper masculinity to them but also this like complete willingness to be vulnerable and to sort of like be subdued almost that I think really works for him. And I think that Campion obviously deeply understands the sensuality and intimacy of the female gaze. Mm. And that's like, that's what we're seeing when we see Harvey in both the piano and in this film is that like understanding of what makes him sexy. And that's why he is so alluring. I think that, like, uh, the whole scene where Ruth is basically, like, cross-dressing PJ is also supposed to be, like, the scene of, like, humiliation and, like, emasculation. And yet, like, I also found that scene really hot, where she's, like, holding up this, like, lipstick, like, in front of his face. And then just, like, very slowly, like, puts the lipstick, like, on his lips. And then it sort of, like, undresses him and, like, puts him in the dress. And I was like, oh, like, obviously she's trying to, like, make him feel bad. And she's trying to, like, make him feel, like, less of a man or whatever. Um, But at the same time, like, there's something about, like, that scene where it, like, seems to, like, really undo him because the morning afterward, he is, like, I'm in love with you. Like, let's get married. Um, but then also just, like, the sheer, like, sensuousness of, like, dressing someone. It's, just, like, this, like, really, like, fun reversal of, like, the usual sex scene of, like, undressing someone. And I just, like, like that whole thing. It's just, like, a nice sort of, like, way of, like, rephrasing something that, like, we're all, like, like, a rephrasing a concept, like, we're all very familiar with, if that makes sense. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. I don't know if I thought it was, like, 
I don't think I would have used the word hot, but I f- was really moved by that scene. And I actually felt like it was really tender and one of the most intimate moments because similar to the piece, like what we were talking about, the peace scene of her, like kind of letting her guard down. I felt like that was a moment for him to be, it felt very vulnerable. And I felt like the intensity of that vulnerability in that moment. And I was like really moved. And I think the way that it changed their relationship as well, because, you know, like she was trying to make fun of him and I don't know how successful that was because then when he writes be kind on her forehead, I don't know. It was just incredibly vulnerable. That whole sequence was so, so vulnerable to me. I think like part of her vulnerability comes from, and this goes back to what Daniel was saying about like the analogizing between like what she goes through in India and what he goes through in her presence is that in the same way that like uh, Ruth wants to be opened up and be transformed from the outside. Mm. He like wants to do that like for her or like wants to open himself up for that experience. And so he like knows in the back of his mind that like she's being mean, but at the same time, he's just sort of like open to being this canvas for her. Yeah, which which then it disarms her in turn because she kind of realizes her the extent of her own cruelty. And I and I was like, wow, that kind of clarity and self-awareness was not like like that to me was her real transformation and like realization, like you were saying earlier, Ingu, um, or was it Daniel about taking control of her life and and kind of seeing herself? You know, that moment was almost like a mirror. So I think that what at least I perceived as what was happening in this moment of uh, PJ's like utter submission is that it kind of mirrors as we're talking about all this mirroring, it kind of mirrors his, what seemed to be his experience with the first guru that actually like sexually Mm. like molested him. And this is the kind of, this is possibly the kind of like, submission that he wanted to experience the first time that wasn't this like mm. just straight sexual like well not not even straight because it's gay obviously but like this like direct sexual manipulation and and actually just be like have a moment of freeing himself from the masculinity he's been in some ways trapped in himself yeah. Even without knowing that that's what he wants to get out of. And so mm. I think that like that's the experience he's having. And so while Ruth may be like thinking she's subjecting him to this cruelty, he doesn't perceive it as such. And so then is able to return to her the be kind on her forehead moment that actually then is what breaks her free from this cruelty and kind of understand more like the experience that each other are having. You guys, this movie is so good. Yeah. It really is so good. Like I was not expecting anything about this, anything of this movie at all. Not in like a bad way or a good way, but I was just like, well, it's another two hour Jane Campion movie. Here we go. And I just found it like so much more enjoyable than I could ever have guessed. Lovia, the last like two or three movies that we saw were definitely just like a lot less productive in its messiness. 
Mm. And like sometimes I'm sure you've had this experience where sometimes you watch like a thing that's like messy, but it doesn't have like the interesting elements that like make up for all of the messiness. And you're yeah. like, why am I here? Like, like working through like this like thing that clearly needs so much more editing or development or both. Right. And right. It was like one of those things where it, like for me at least there's a sort of like productive messiness because yeah like could it be structured better like sure but also do I sort of like the way like it's full of like loose threads and not everything is like hyper telegraphed so that like I can sort of try to figure out on my own like what's happening in the movie instead of like it telling me what to think like it's just been like a really great movie going experience for me yeah I really agree I think that it offered so much and I think it was just this is so corny but it was just really brave you know and I like maybe this is just because I'm I'm watching again like not I've been watching a series of kind of dud films that don't feel like they're taking any risks but I liked the fact that she not everything worked because I'm like, at least you tried, you know, and it gave us a lot to talk about, especially. And then I had, I left feeling, I finished the movie and I was like, I have really strong feelings about this that I now need to work through. And that's always so fun and like, feels like, you know, just rare now. (laughs) I'm really like shitting on contemporary film. Sorry. (laughs) And I think like risk is like a really good way of like thinking about this movie because it does take a bunch of, risks and that it gives you like a protagonist with like a very like uncinematic crisis it like really gives you a type of story that the movies haven't for whatever reason like really dived into dove into Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah I can totally see like why this movie failed when it first came out because it's so unconventional um but i think yeah from like 22 years like henceforth it is like so very obviously like just putting in all of this like effort and passion into a thing that like might not work but damn if she's gonna try exactly and we have and that counts for so much that's why i'm a campion stan (laughs) Well, that is our discussion of this really underrated gem of a film. Thank you so much, Lovia, our underrated gem. It was a delight to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, you guys. First of all, Ingu, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, No, it was my absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me. Daniel, it was a pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Um, And have me back soon. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely have you back next season. And we're very jealous that you already got to watch The Power of the Dog. Very jealous. So, uh, I think without Lovia, we should do Daniel's least favorite segment. (laughs) Which is ranking all of the movies that we have talked about so far on the season. We've got The Piano. Bright Star, Sweetie, An Angel at My Table, and Holy Smoke. I think I'm going to do 
Hmm. The piano on top. I might actually put a holy smoke uh, before bright star, an angel at my table, and then sweetie. I think I just, I, I love the fact that like this movie is just like bursting with like ideas and with visuals. And I think as I talk about a little bit with like bright star, as accomplished as that movie is, I just never understand like why we have to watch anyone sort of like slowly die like in a movie. So that's what I'm going to go with. I think my ranking is Holy Smoke, <gasps> The Piano, wow. Bright Star, Angel at My Table, and Sweetie. Wow. All right, well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us and for falling under the sway of this season's cult leader, Jane Campion. If you'd like to shoot us a message, we're at allaboutfilmpod at gmail.com, and we'll be back in two weeks to talk in the cut. I have something I could say here that I certainly will not. Say it. This just reminds me of all the fake cum scenes in porn. Oh. Oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. I told you I shouldn't say it, but you <laughs> told me to. It's true. He did say he shouldn't say it. I was, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Roll the tape back. Um <laughs> <laughs>